Welcome to episode 143 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. Um, I wanted to share the resource I've been using a lot this week and or a group of resources. And surprisingly, it's not from one of my usuals. <laughs> so it's a new a new creator that I haven't shared yet. So Adventures in Speech Pathology. If you follow her on Instagram, she is all things speech sound disorders. Um, I believe she is an Aussie. So she I think we should add her to our list of mm-hmm. Australian people we need to have on the show at some point. So, but she has a lot of resources for things like um, phonological processes and lots of boom cards for, you know, like uh, minimal pairs and things like that. So she has a lot of hard copy resources, which I think are amazing too, has a whole uh, phonological processes manual, I believe called something like that, where she goes through the cycles approach and all of those things, very detailed. But she also just has, the one I've been using this week is she has an early sounds boom card that just is so simple, but it's beautiful in its simplicity. It just has a box around a picture of the mouth making that sound. And then and you fill the box with little, like, I think there's 16 per page of words that start with that sound. So it's just so simple, but it's so uh, helpful for those kids that have those early sounds and you just need to get a lot of productions. And that um the wonderful visual cue of the mouth to uh we'll talk about today that sometimes it's hard to do speech sound disorders over telepractice and share a screen because then all of a sudden everyone's pictures get small so it's nice to have that really big cute visual cue for the mouth that's on the boom card page so that's been the one i've been using a lot this week yeah that's awesome and we know we need more speech sound disorder materials and Speaking of which, our guest is Tally Kellerstein, and Tally has the Speak Boutique, and she is going to share some of her materials, but she's been doing telepractice for a little while now, and and that's what she specializes in, speech sound disorders. So I think she'll have some great uh, strategies to share and some materials to share as well. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Well, Tally, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background? Sure. Thank you so much for for having me. I'm really, really excited to be here. Um, So I'm a speech pathologist in Toronto. And my um, work is split between clinical, which is fully telepractice, and I work exclusively in speech sound disorders and uh, speech sound disorders, kids uh, four and up. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And um, the other the other part of my work is a publication company where I've um, called the Speak Boutique, um, where I've created products um, that have sort of outgrown uh, from from my clinical work, uh, mm-hmm. inspired by and kind of used are flavored with uh, with uh, my style of therapy. <laughs> sure. So we we always are curious about how someone discovers speech language pathology. Would you so, mind sharing that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, you know, there's a saying: it takes a sometimes it takes a long road to get a short distance. And uh, mm-hmm. speech pathology has very much always been aligned in my interest. I was interested in people, interested in languages, and. Um, I thought initially I was going to be an English professor and I did my undergrad in uh, literary studies. Then I did a master's in English and I was uh, teaching English as a second language. And sort of in the back of my mind, I knew about speech pathology mm-hmm. as a profession. And um, But uh, when I was teaching English as a second language, um, there was one particular student who stood out and it was a, I don't remember exactly, a five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, something like that. Um, and he was uh, velar fronting, and of course, at the time, I didn't know the term. But the the directors of the center were really eager for me to help this kid fix these sounds, which mm-hmm. I had no idea how to do. <laughs> and uh, it really kind of spurred me to to more aggressively pursue and look into uh, speech pathology. And um, I uh, then that sort of guided guided uh that career i looked into the course offerings um like loved everything i saw um and i'd actually i was teaching esl before i did the master's english didn't get into speech the first year did the master's while i was waiting to get into speech got in the second year um and you know by way of saying for those of you who don't get in the first time push ahead it's keep, it's keep worth going. It. Right. a good a good <laughs> portion of my class did not get accepted their first uh round in um which was you know good to know after given how devastated i right. felt before mm-hmm. <laughs> um and that sort of started that uh that journey well, that's awesome and and so the that experience with the student did that sort of um, inform your sort of focus on speech sound disorders uh I don't know how much uh, it was that specifically. I um, when I graduated, I my first job was at a place called the Toronto Children's Center, um, and we we spoke about it a little bit before at, at the Phillips House. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the focus of the Toronto Children's Center was children with speech sound disorders. So when I first, it was kids, so our priority, our mandate was group therapy for kids with motor speech uh, disorders. They had to have moderate to profound motor speech disorders because they had to function in a group. Their language skills had to be fairly um, intact. Um, and and that that was sort of my introduction to the speech world. And I went into that job thinking I was going to go into language and literacy. And I loved, like, I just fell in love with working with motor speech. I loved that there were concrete goals that that you could, like, really see them check off. Um, mm-hmm. And there was something, like, so satisfying. <laughs> and still, you know, I'm I'm still sometimes, like, think of myself as a one-trick pony. Like, this is, <laughs> this is my very narrow area. 
And I, I really enjoy it. I really, um, you know, other people will say, oh, I hate working on R or I don't want to work on a K and like me, it's like bring those on. I, I love a good <laughs> K and I love a good R. <laughs> um, less so lateralist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Not as passionate about that. We'll let, we'll let Amy Graham keep that one. That's yeah. right. That's right. She's yeah. good with those. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so where did, um, as you got into this and, and you had the idea of your own practice, uh, how did that come about? I went into private practice fairly early, especially for the time. So uh, it was 2005 when I graduated. And at that time, we were still not really encouraged to go into private practice, at least not early in our careers. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, you know, I, I think different cultures are, are different, like different work cultures are different in different places. So, you know, kind of what I'm describing is, mm-hmm. is what, what I'd felt locally here in Toronto. Um, and an opportunity came up about, um, I, I wasn't even quite a year into, into practice where, uh, there was a small local, uh, clinic nearby run by two clinicians and, um, they were looking for somebody to, to help out, um, you know, manage some extra kids on the caseload. Um, and, and I went there, I I also, I knew going into the field that I did want to do private. Um, mm-hmm. And that at, at some point that I, I would want to work for work for myself. Um, Toronto Children's Center happened to be an amazing place to work. I it's now called the Speech and Stuttering Institute. And I really, really enjoyed working there and and loved it and feel like I, I'm very lucky that that was my infancy in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the the private practice side also was uh, was just really interesting to me. I liked having something that was my own. Um, at, I mean, at the time I was working in somebody else's practice, so it wasn't my own yet, but I very soon after that um, uh, decided I'll just... Uh, could do it, could swing it on my, on my own and started working from, from the basement, uh, in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I come by it naturally. My parents are both, uh, entrepreneurs. Well, um, my dad's an entrepreneur. And, uh, so I, I grew up in, in an environment where, where he, uh, had his own business and my mom was a piano teacher who worked from home. And so my work combines a lot of the two worlds I saw my parents work in, um, Well, growing up. So was telepractice part of your private practice from the start or when did that come into it? I'm guessing 2020 or before <laughs> the magic number. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, um, on the other side of my wall is a, on the other side of the screen from where I'm looking at you guys is a, a massive uh, wall of uh, games <laughs> and mm-hmm. then another big book sh- bookshelf. And uh, yeah, pandemic hits uh, in February and my husband says, um, you know, you're going to have to figure out how to do this online. And I said, like, look around, like, that's just not going to work. We're, we're going to wait a couple months. And I, you know, I, I listened to that push. The, like a, a seed of telepractice was interesting to me. What I, what I did really like about the idea of telepractice was the mobility of it. I liked the idea of that I could be somewhere else and still see my clients. So, so I was um, keen to learn, but I didn't think it was going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came in very, uh, very apprehensive. 
especially because my background's motor speech and um, certified in prompt. So there was a little tactile cueing in my uh, in my work. And um, and I just, uh, you know, had two weeks or so off of clients and dove into every um, free course that people were so generously offering at that time. Um, mm-hmm. It was uh, it was really amazing to see how how generous people were with their knowledge um and uh and then started to feel like i could do it so i gave my first uh few sessions with um i think it was the first session or the first two weeks of sessions with everybody free of charges so i could get you know, my own little clinical <laughs> practice time in and uh and then started doing it um and really uh like I'm a full convert. Like I, <laughs> I, went, I went completely. Uh, I don't think I'm. I'm going to ever go back to in person. I really, really like telepractice, and uh, it was you know those first few kids where we were where I was on the other side, and I had never met them in person, and kind of that oh wow like we just went from the you know no R to a full R, fully without me having ever met this family, and that was sort of. Right. very surreal for me um and you know now, now it's like you now it's normal it's three years in and there's a bunch <laughs> of families who I've never met in person mm-hmm. and uh you know they might not recognize me in the grocery store <laughs> and my, my <laughs> right. height might look different than they were expecting um and that's just kind of where where life is now but I um there were there were a few things that uh that really uh switched my perspective the one, uh, the you know, the one major concern I had was around the tactile cueing, yeah, and, um, and it might be, so I yeah, so I'm obviously not doing tactile cueing in in uh, telepractice, but I found it was sort of six of one, half a dozen of the other. Where what I missed in, um, in tactile cueing, I was gaining in the regularity with which the families could come and see me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. I had kids who who had significant um, have significant uh, childhood apraxia of speech, and they were coming in from the, like one family in particular. I'm thinking of they were coming in from another city, and we're in Toronto. And you know, as soon as there's a snowstorm, you're missing sessions. Kid gets sick, missing sessions, and um, and so all of a sudden the pandemic hits, and this kid never misses a session, and we are moving forward at at a you know an amazing pace. So I mean I'm not discounting the power of um of uh tactile cues and what it does for for a lot of kids, but there's a good population that can still be served and helped um virtually and those are my people now. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so you you mentioned ahead. your um your shelf of toys that's probably now collecting dust. It is not. It, it is, is not. not. Okay, that's what I was going to say. Are you still using them in telepractice? Yeah. How are you using them in telepractice? Or what has been your replacements for them? No, I. so I am still using the same, most of the same things. Though um, my sessions have uh, a very um, like loose structure that follows throughout. So the kids kind of know what, the, what to expect as our four activities. You know, I'm not religious about it. It it it's we're flexible when we need to be. But broadly speaking, I start a session with a drill. Um, we I we do a, a picture book that is very sound loaded. Um then we do a craft 
that is related to the book and that I use to retell the story in some way or other. Um, and then we have a game. So those are my four uh, things. It's um, this method of uh, structuring sessions is very much the fingerprints of the Toronto Children's Centre. So we had an amazing library of books. It was a magical place to work. <laughs> um, we had an amazing collection of books and we, uh, the organization, because it was all speech pathologists and all working on motor speech, it was this buzz of um, of exchange of ideas for this area. We also had language groups. So it was uh, speech and language. And um, so we'd amassed this really phenomenal collection of, you know, the perfect book for your kid who's just starting with S and then a perfect book for a group where one kid is working on K and one kid is working on L and one kid is working on R. And uh, and then the perfect game that goes with that perfect book and all of these like beautiful sessions. And I, I recognize that that's not the reality for a lot of people. They can't have their library there. Um, mm-hmm. But I've replicated that library in um, in my office. I, I, so when we start, when telepractice started, when I was introduced to it, the, the big thing, and I'm sure still is for a lot of people is the green screen and, um, and then, uh, the activities on, on boom cards. I do use, yeah. I do use, um, like Dave Sindri's games. I, I use a lot. Um, but for me, the issue, so the green screen for me, it's just not my style. It was too high maintenance, too much thinking. Um, uh, like <laughs> I already have my set of materials. Um, so, so it, it just, it just didn't, uh, fit with me. I think, you know, for different people, there's different styles that work. And the great thing about our field is that there are many ways to bake a cake and you can be successful in a lot of different approaches for the same, uh, for the same issue, as long as you're thoughtful about it and, um, you know, rare of the evidence base that you need yeah. to to bake into what you're doing. Um, so what what I was finding was bothering me when I was doing things where I was sharing screen is that the child's face was getting small. And mm-hmm. I really need for for my kids, I really need to see inside their mouths. Yeah. You know, and especially mm-hmm. because whether like you can't control the lighting on their side and sometimes their mouths are getting dark and I really need to see in there. So for the majority of my session, I need that child's face to be big. Mm -hmm. So, you know, got a second monitor, I have a monitor where I'm typing my notes as we go. And, um, and then the virtual camera is my, my best friend. Um, You know, and also, I I thought initially, like our, uh, I think, you know, most people's hesitation with that, our kids going to be as engaged in playing a game where you're taking their turns, they absolutely are the same way we mm-hmm. all absolutely are watching, you know, HGTV where I'm never going to have that remodeled, beautiful, <laughs> shiny kitchen. And right. the kids I've, that watch the like unboxing videos on yeah, YouTube. Right. Or, and at least unboxing, you see something there, but there's right. also when you watch just somebody playing yeah. a game, mm-hmm. you're yep. not pushing the button. I mean, the whole <laughs> idea of Blippy is just watching this grown man go play on playgrounds. It's very weird to me. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, you know, they, they do have agency. I, I, in as much as possible, I have them still engaged. So if I have an activity where there's a mystery bag, I'll put it up to the camera. They'll reach in, grab into the mystery bag. And then I, I take their, uh, their object. Um, but it meant that my sessions by and large didn't change. I'm still using all the same books I did. And it's the physical books, because if I'm using a book online, then I have to share the screen and then my kid gets too small for me. Um, so, Mm -hmm. and if I need them to see my face, you know, it's, it's easy enough to just push a button and then have them look at me. Um, 
the main thing that changed and, and, you know, really for the better. So again, like one of these very generous people. Um, so, um, Bill Binko from Lesson Picks did an amazing job in the beginning of, uh, of COVID to really thrust what they had, the work that they had done mm-hmm. to make it accessible for those of us who are not tech savvy. Um, and, uh, and they'd taken their Lesson Picks had made their templates um movable onto PowerPoint. And it was a game changer. Like once I could put mm-hmm. those images on PowerPoint and load them, um, Bill made, I don't know, a little widget or whatever you call it, that that you could load the images onto onto your PowerPoint. That meant the crafts that I had been doing, they were very customized. So, you know, if we were doing Are You My Mother, there was a moving bird that went to the every little scene I was, you know, um, they, they were very specific to each book, the crafts that I was using, because I really want specific words said in a specific way about a specific book. Yeah. Um Lesson picks really uh, opened the floodgate of allowing us to do that virtually. I, I had already developed a big bank of materials with them that I was, you know, printing for in-person sessions, and um, and then when I was able to do that virtually, it was the one thing that that changed this format that I'm not using the the actual physical craft anymore. And the kids yeah. all get confused when I say we're, we're doing a craft <laughs> because in my mm-hmm. history, that's what it used to be um, for them. Really, we're doing, I have to keep correcting myself. It's a computer activity now. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, that, that was the, the only thing that really changed. And for me meant a much happier relationship with my printer. Um, <laughs> I don't as much anymore. <laughs> Right, <laughs> and it might be the printer that actually killed in-person therapy for me. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that and the laminator probably. We, mm-hmm. we, we are not friends. We are not friends. Me, mm-hmm. the laminator, the printer. Like we just we have a cold piece. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, that that's pretty much where um, where things evolved in. Uh, in telepractice, the other thing I really love doing, you know, because I'd come out of this history where we did groups is um, I wasn't sure if I could still do groups on telepractice. And it's actually so much easier because now somebody doesn't have to drive and think about the drive between when the kid is coming from karate and then they have to go here. And mm-hmm. um, so my, because my practice is exclusively speech sound disorders, once I, I get kids who match and I need them to do carryover it gives me a nice little bank of kids to group together and they benefit from seeing somebody else in the same boat. It's nice that I stop being the only, you know, the cue (laughs) that Mm -hmm. they have, they have to start doing the sound with somebody else. And those skills that I got doing group therapy um, in, in speech and stuttering for so many years, I'm able to, to carry through in this, uh, in this format. So for me, tele telepractices, is magic. <laughs> yeah. And I like how you talked about that. You can like pick the group that's going to be work perfectly. Yeah. And with a lot less barriers. Yes. Than, you know, and those of us who work in the schools and still have to put like kids who are only working on language with kids are only working on speech in one group together. It's, <laughs> the it's choosing and picking sounds really nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely a luxury of this, right? It's a luxury of, um, yeah, I mean, I, I use the word luxury like uh, loosely because it's it's right. it's self created, right? Like yes, it, it was. Yes, uh, you still have to put in the work to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it does give you it it um takes away a lot of the barriers of like 
like you said, the scheduling and who can yeah. come when and how far the, this person is coming and how far this person is coming. And yeah. you take all of that out and can just do it based on clinically more. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I've just been lucky that, um, well, by design, have streamlined my caseload mm-hmm. um, such that, and, you know, it's, it's part because I consciously streamlined, parts because th- this is just who I enjoy working with. Like, right. I could work with these kids for the next 40 years. I just don't want to work with the other ones. Like, we like mm-hmm. these kids. Sure. <laughs> um, I'm joking, of course. Like, I'm just, I can <laughs> widen my area down the road. <laughs> I love everybody's kids. <laughs> but these are my favorites. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. So I know that uh, you have your own materials that you've developed uh, as part of the Speak Boutique. So let's talk about how that came about. And you mentioned sure. your father being an entrepreneur and your mom working from home and uh, and that being sort of in your blood. So talk about this whole publishing side that you sure. are now doing. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh it's it's a combination of of a few of a few different things, um, a few different roads roads meeting. Um in part the Starting with the book, I feel like I've come full circle because my master's was in in English and (laughs) I was looking to do a PhD in English. And I think had I stayed, I would have done a PhD in uh, children's literature and I would have gone down that that road. So the the picture book was the first uh, product that came that that I had published. Um, I kind of had this. I wanted to share what we had done at Speech and Stuttering, like the beauty of doing therapy from a book. Because when when we when we have a, a book as our source of finding speech sounds, it's such a rich it's such a rich um, environment because you automatically have language built in, and our kids don't come so neatly segmented, you know, in an apraxia box, in a phonology box, in a language box. And I find that when I have books, it opens doors for me to treat, you know. A variety of areas as they come up. So, so for example, um, I have uh, a child I'm working with with uh, with apraxia, and we have just kind of cleared the forest of the speech sound disorder. So, so he's now at a point where where he's quite intelligible, and as the intelligibility comes out, the grammatical errors uh, become the bigger priority. It's not that they weren't there before; it's just that we were on survival mode before, and it was more important to understand what what the child was saying uh, versus, you know, uh, the grammar of it. And also those grammar things were getting lost because in and on are not the priority when, you know, the sentence is about Mario or Luigi or PlayStation. Right. Yeah. right. We're jumping on, on, on what is holding the, the meaning in the, in yeah. the sentence. And, and if you don't have any final consonants, you don't mm-hmm. have, like, yeah. it drops out all of the grammatical markers. Totally. Totally. So, you know, we were doing a, a book in session called um, A Spoonful of Frogs because we're working on on our blends now. And it's an amazing book where there's frogs every day, every page. And there's uh, she's making, I call it treats. You know, I'm adapting the, the pages as we go. And a frog jumps onto the window and the frog is supposed to go out the window and the child says off the window. And, you know, I can see then like it, it gave me this insight into where the prepositions are where had I been working uh, strictly on the sounds with activities that were very um, 
that were strictly drill, drill based. Not that there's not a place for that. I definitely am using flashcards. I'm using drills. I'm using all of that in my sessions. But it was the book that really opened the other side. Like, let me screen the other things as we're going. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, I really love books as a vehicle for that. That in our sessions, we are exposing these kids who are vulnerable to literacy difficulties. We are immersing them in a literary environment. And these kids where there's a vulnerability towards language difficulty, we're immersing them in a language environment. It's not perfect. You know, there, there's always going to be um, a need for extra assessment and things like that. But but that was sort of where, where the inspiration started, where it was so important for me to try to um, create something that would make it easy for clinicians to do therapy from a book. And so the book Party Animals uh, is a collection of 21 speech sound poems. And every poem tells a little story. So there's a little vignette of images that tell a small story. Those are inspired very much by our, um, in part by, you know, the sequencing cards that we use, but also from wordless picture books that, that tell stories without any, any words attached. And then the poem itself is, uh, it's entirely alliterative. So it's, it focuses on whatever that single sound is. Uh, so, you know, if I'm, uh, the poem Party Puppy, it's all about, puppy and party and she does her nails. So there's polish and, you know, what, what there's, there's sure. words that all relate, but have peas conveniently. And, um, and then the remaining line um, builds on that so that you could use all four products to do the session that I had described where it's drill book story, retail activity and a game. And so the four products together um are a microcosm of that format of therapy in a with speech like speech sounds kind of being at the heart of it but really all of those things can be used towards grammatical structures towards inferencing um broad, you know a broader variety of goals so kim you know i have therapists like you in mind where you are at a school and you're throwing a kid for articulation and you're also throwing a kid for language and you can use the same story for both mm-hmm. kids and get both targets, uh, get both targets through that. Um, the Speak Boutique as a publishing entity is actually very recent. Uh, the Speak Boutique initially referred to my practice as a whole, and I just incorporated in uh, January um, so that the Speak Boutique is now exclusively the product side, and I've separated the products from the practice side. Um, when I had first started, I was very much inspired by the Curly Hair Institute, which is the salon that does my mm-hmm. hair down the street. And they <laughs> uh, they have their hairdressers who do the hair. And then they have a line of curly hair products. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll just do that. But for speech. And it's really different <laughs> for speech. <laughs> because unknowingly, I'd inadvertently walked into four different industries. And I didn't sure. really realize that going in. I mean, and, and probably Jonathan Torch, who's, who's uh, head of the Curly Hair Institute, will tell me that that it's the same thing on, on his side of things. But all of a sudden, I found myself with the book that I was in the picture, children's picture book industry all of a sudden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. publishing. So I'm in speech pathology. I'm in children's picture books. Um, together, the line is really an educational publishing company. And now I've made a board game and that is a completely different kettle of fish. It's a whole different community, a whole different industry, different printers, different manufacturers, like 
different rules of the game. Um, there's certainly some things carry over, but um, it's it's been it's been wild. <laughs> it's a, it's a, just jumping in and and learning it is is you know I really admire that thank that you. spirit and and yeah I, I kind of know how you feel uh, with our company that we have. Um, it's been a learning experience of trying to make this work, you know, yeah. and, and unfortunately, as, as speech language pathologists, we're not trained in sort of the business side of things. No. I was no. just talking to my my grad students this week. I said, this is something you guys really need to think about. Oh, that'll be years from now before <laughs> we have to do any business or anything like that. And I said, no. You just never know. You it's know, really you unfortunate might... that it's not baked into our program. So at yeah. the at the time that I was in school, my brother-in-law was going through um, dentistry. He's now an orthodontist. He was going through dentistry and going through orthodontist. Well, the dentist, I'm pretty sure it's a dentist. I'm pretty sure they didn't wait until he was an orthodontist, but they had a business course built into mm-hmm. dentistry. And mm-hmm. I've always wondered what the difference is, like why their field saw mm-hmm. that Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like in, in Canada, you could explain it in part that speech services were much more heavily government funded. Like over the course of my career, I've seen that funding erode, mm-hmm. um, just horribly. Uh, whereas, you know, in dentistry, they hadn't had the kind of public funding that speech pathology, uh, did and is losing, um, but that's, I mean, in the States, you guys are nodding and, and your system is not necessarily the, the same healthcare system. And, and you're still seeing the same absence of business yeah. training in our mm-hmm. program. Right. And there's, I think it's, I think it's, um, my guess is, is a bit of a crux on that we're a helping field. And not that dentists are not helping, but, but mm-hmm. I think it's just perceived in a different way somehow. Yeah. It's like a public service kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And um, it's mm-hmm. it's it does a disservice on two sides. It does a disservice to those of us who have to, you know, build the plane while we're while we're flying it, yep. and you know, trying to, especially as new clinicians, when you're trying to figure out clinical practice, much less than also navigate starting a business. It's it's um, it's it's putting it's such a disservice to the clinicians who have to do that, but it's also a disservice to the clients who then have to have people who are learning these things all at the same time, it will serve our field better if we make better business people earlier on, mm-hmm. uh, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, well, audiology has that. I mean, we have an audiology program here and uh, they have to, they take a whole semester course in practice management. And they, a part of that course is that they have to design their own practice. We, and, we really uh, need that. It's wonderful. We're in the same building most of I know. the time. Yeah. Why are we having that class? It's it's so bizarre, right? Like, yeah. I keep trying to find, like, where where is that coming from? I mean, I don't think the other, as far as I know, the other rehab sciences, we, we were in one building uh, uh, in my program. Uh, we were in one building with uh, PT and OT. It hadn't mm-hmm. been that way before, but just when, when I started, it all went to, for Toronto people, 500 University. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that they don't have it on their side either. Like I I I I'll have to ask my friends who are in OT and PT. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's so unfortunate because it's it's really tough to learn it all later. I mean, I don't know if as a student also it would be overwhelming. Our, our field is huge and overwhelming right. in and of itself. <laughs> like, 
but um, yeah, no, my opinion would be better served with it earlier. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and just as speaking as a faculty member, you're right. We're you know the in terms of what we have to teach and the clock hours that the students have to get, um, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's yeah. just that the scope of practice has has just so wide. Um, yeah, it is crazy trying to get them you know, just minimally prepared for, yeah. for practice uh, yeah. when they graduate, you know, and then, and so you, it's even for me, it's like, I want all my students to take a telepractice course. Right. Only a portion of them do. But, you know, I wish all of them could leave with that course and that experience. Same yeah. with business planning and developing. I wish we had a, a course in that, you know, and I all would take it, but where do yeah. we put it? And it's, um, right. Yeah, you have a uh, curriculum, you have to give up something to put something in. And I, I think we we feel it in um in Canada a lot because our programs are largely grad programs. Like I mean, obviously like the country is much smaller, and I think mm-hmm. the state of California has more speech pathologists than the all of Canada. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that I'm, I'm pretty sure me. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's that stat is uh, right, at least unless I check. Right. Um but our programs are just grad programs. So I was at ASHA for the first time uh, in person. I've been to virtual ASHA the year before, but I was in person for the first time um, mm-hmm. in uh, in November. And you know, for a Canadian to see that that uh, stadium of <laughs> grad schools and undergrads attracting, mm-hmm. like it's jaw breaking. I think we we have maybe mm-hmm. seven or nine schools here <laughs> in the wow. entire country, mm-hmm. and they're all grad programs. So if they're grad programs, it is two years, the occasional one has a third year. Um, where are they going to put that business course? I, I I do feel for the faculty that they have to do it, but maybe it's worth adding a semester um, if that's what you need to do. Right. Um, Tally, we have 14 training programs in Ohio. Well, <laughs> just in Ohio, <laughs> <laughs> just in one state. Yeah. Oh, so it's and, and we we were like, why do they keep approving new programs? Because <laughs> someone needs to say, okay, we have enough uh, SLP programs in in the state of Ohio. But yeah, we have we hear about universities adding programs all the time. So I think I think it's up to like fourteen programs. Wow. Wow, how big are the pro- like how big are the programs? How many students are are enrolled in general? You're talking about grad programs, right? Grad programs. I yeah. would say it, it does vary from you know probably 15 to 25, okay. 30 okay, maybe. Yeah. The bigger programs, uh, be around 30. So ours was um, my my cohort was was 30. Uh, it felt big, <laughs> and they're mm-hmm. up to big. 60 now in the in the current class. I think 60. So one of the students will, if they're listening, they'll correct me. <laughs> uh, but last I checked, it was it was that. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it's, yeah, it's an interesting aspect of the field that we need to do something about. And, yeah. you know, ASHA has done some things where they've, they certainly have business management as a part of presentations yeah. and things like that at, at convention and the SIG uh, groups that are there and things like that. Mm-hmm. But we need to do more to prepare our students. And so, Tally, how can people get in touch with you and to learn more about what you're doing? 
So give um, out all the information. Thank you. Um, so the the one thing I'd love everybody to uh, to join. I hope it's okay. I'm gonna plug I, the I was board say, game. You have a new product coming. I have out, a new right? product coming, and you know, learning curve upon learning curve. I am in the depths of the learning curve about Kickstarter, and the board game is coming out on Kickstarter. So we launch nice. the Kickstarter. Um, just under a week today. So I think I'm not sure when you guys are airing, but it'll mm-hmm. launch the 21st of February. And uh, so the Kickstarter launches, it's, it's going to run for 30 days, the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are on Kickstarter, please search uh, Party Time Bingo. And that's uh, that's the game. And if you search the Speak Boutique on, on Kickstarter, then that should come up. Uh, the other places to find me, I am uh, on quite a few places on social media. So I'm active on Instagram. The handle is at the Speak Boutique. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm I'm not as active on Twitter um, and uh, Facebook, the Speak Boutique, and my website is thespeakboutique.com. Uh, so any of those places, I'm happy to connect with people. Well, this episode will air, I think, on the twentieth. So next Monday. So yeah, it'll be right before your Kickstarter campaign. So I will encourage everyone to jump over to the Kickstarter and help out if you can. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, you can pre-order the game and uh, bring a new little speech pathology product to life. That's great. Well, you'll have to come back and give us an update on how everything is going. Happily. I I would love to. Thank you. Thank you, Tally. Tally, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And Good luck with everything you're doing at the Speak Boutique. As well, good luck with your Kickstarter campaign. And for those of you can go over to kickstarter.com and look at the Speak Boutique slash Party Time Bingo campaign and contribute. We want to bring this material, this game to fruition. We want to make it work. And Tally could use your help on that. So check out the Kickstarter campaign. And so thank you for joining us in this episode. Please, if you would like to do something with the 3C Digital Media Network, do you have a podcast in mind that you'd like to get off the ground? Maybe you have a webinar you'd like to give. Maybe you have a longer course you'd like to do. Or maybe you'd like to get into some blogging and develop an audience through blogging. Whatever you want to do, reach out to me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. That's Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com. And until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.